Folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson with you. And so, you know, I've said it several times, but still, Happy New Year. In fact, I was just telling our team here that I think I'm putting New Year's as one of my favorite holidays. So it might be a little switch for me for 2024. So uh, we'll talk about that maybe sometime in the future. In the meantime, let's talk about what's actually on the show today. <laughs> so later on for our inbox, we have a listener who wants to know, is it wrong to go on dates with multiple people before committing to a more serious relationship? So I'm going to weigh in on that because, you know, I just date like 20 people a week, of course. So I have a lot to say here. And then for our culture segment, Elisa Childers is back for part two of our discussion on some of the cultural lies that you may have bought into that aren't actually biblical. And so it's really fun with her to be parsing these out, and so a continuation of that this week. Okay, well, here we are for our roundtable, and I did allude to the fact that we're in January. So this was born out of a discussion a few of us were having last week about, like, just kind of getting smarter and feeling like, I don't know, I feel like sometimes we just based on our decisions or things we've, you know, invested in or what we've been doing with our time, we just feel like we're getting dumber about a lot of stuff and just kind of like, why don't I know that? Or why do other people know that? Or I just feel like I haven't chased after that. And so we're going to talk about maybe some good proactive ways that we can get smarter in different areas in 2024. So we have got John here, who's already so smart. Hey, John. Thank it's you, good. Lisa. <laughs> we'll be eager to hear how you're going to even get smarter. Yeah, uh, in I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah, so that's It's a work great. in progress. Um, and then we have Casey, Casey Ewing. Hey, Casey. Hey, Lisa. Always good to have you. We bring Casey in because she's just always growing in some area. She's just Very loves, true. I like to She's inspire. so growth oriented. Yeah. <laughs> so we can be inspired by her. And brand new to the round table, we have Dakota. Hey, Dakota. Hey, Lisa. Good to have you here and uh, first timer on the show, but we're going to be getting some great insights from you as well. So let's go ahead and jump in. And let's start out by talking first about, okay, when you think of getting smarter, first of all, where do you feel that you are not smart? Like just general categories, like what, <laughs> what is kind of intimidating for you or where you've noticed other people talking about stuff and you're like, I'm going to have to tap out because I don't even know what's going on here. Um, and then how would you define kind of intelligence in that context? <laughs> I wish our friend Bree Sharon was listening in right now. She'll hear this, though. Shout out to you, Bree. Um, <laughs> that an area of, of struggle for me is math. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she used to be a former math teacher. So mm-hmm. um, that is that was my hardest subject in college, without question. I spent so much time in the math lab trying to get it, and I made a C. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, I would define intelligence as having a strong ability in a particular area. I feel like God's given us... Really, just some of us are more naturally gifted in certain areas, and then others we have to work at. But yeah, yeah math, oh, I need a calculator. Well, and even just straight up knowledge. Like sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you can have a natural talent or ability, but sometimes it really is just accumulating knowledge about stuff. And I would say for me, I was thinking about this. I like you said that, John, because math for me is like, I have no reservation about saying that I will never try to learn anything math related again, because there are so many apps and random things and people that I can ask. And quite frankly, almost everything I studied, and I studied calculus. Do I remember that? No. Do I need it? No. So see ya. 
calculus. Okay, Casey. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was a math major, so. <laughs> but well, whatever. I was with Bree, and yeah, I also true. felt dumb because <laughs> she just knew. Uh, I think there's a there's a difference between having passion and actually being good at something. So I really enjoy math. Like I would probably go back and take calculus again because I enjoyed it, but I can't remember any of it because it's like riding a bike. You have to practice it. Hmm. So I would say to me, intelligence is accumulating knowledge, but being able to access that knowledge. So mm-hmm. it's it's still current in your brain or you've, you've kind of referenced it enough times that it's still there. Mm-hmm. So to me, I don't, I don't think in terms of IQ or I'm smarter because of my IQ, but an area I struggle <laughs> with is besides math uh, is politics. I wish oh. I was better at like understanding it. Yeah. I really don't feel like I get a grasp of any of that. Yeah. So I'm just kind of like, well, I, I'm, I'll follow my values. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I don't know how the legislative system works. Yeah. All Being that. in the conversation. Sometimes that I can cannot. be super intimidating. Yes. Well, this is a great year to get smarter in that. <laughs> yeah. Because I guess we're going to need to figure out a few things. So Dakota, how about you? Oh, man. If I'm building off what Casey was kind of saying, just the the math all around is yeah. a difficult thing <laughs> for me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's just difficult. So I always can get better with basic addition, subtraction, all those above. But what I'd like to get smarter with this upcoming year is uh, Bible mes- memorization okay. with verses. Mm-hmm. And so just getting better to recall passages, mm-hmm. and but dive deeper into what they are going into or what they're getting to the point of. And yeah. so really being able to recall that information. And then if somebody asks a follow-up question, to be able to explain what that is talking about or speaking of. And so kind of going off, sorry, what Casey was saying is collecting information Mm -hmm. and then that builds up to um, wisdom Mm -hmm. or knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so, but then recalling it. So No, that's great. Okay. Well, since you kind of kicked us off, Dakota, let's talk a little bit about what are the things that we would like to gain some ground in, in 2024, because this could just be, you know, we're, we're calling this ways I plan to get smarter in 2024. And sometimes this is just like, for the sake of talking to people at parties, I mean, for (laughs) to engage, as Casey said, in being able to be a responsible citizen uh, this year here in the US. Um, And sometimes it's just like, yeah, just general growth kind of stuff. So what are those things that you've thought of where you're like, man, if I could just really move the needle in this area, this is what it would look like? I'm working on improving my vocabulary, so that's a big one. I actually do really love the English language. A bit of advice that my grandfather gave to me when I was in high school is you need two good books in your life. One is a Bible, and the other is a good dictionary. So last year, I actually bought me this pocket dictionary that I brought here in the studio. And so when I'm reading a book, if I don't understand a word, I'm going back to my late grandfather's advice and saying, and when he said to me, hey, if you are reading and you come across a word that you don't understand, look up the definition in the dictionary. And if there is a word inside that definition that you don't understand, then look up the definition for that one too. Hmm. So that's a way that I'm trying to learn to improve my vocabulary, which I think is very needed for our society right now. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I would say besides politics, mm-hmm. and um, maybe my maybe I'll do a math problem a week. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but for serious, I uh, I will 
I plan on surrounding myself with people who think differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big challenge for me in this new year is finding community and being able to be challenged in my thinking because I think it's easy to get stuck in in one thought process or you think you're right. But to be able to be challenged, I think, makes your brain more um, susceptible to changing, which helps you become smarter, if that makes sense. So I was reading also a lot about how we're easily distracted and because we're always on our phones. And so something I would love to implement this year is being able to just think deeply about one thing at a time. So Mm. instead of being distracted and bouncing from thing to thing to just say, I want to think about aspects of this problem or maybe an area of politics, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even though I keep going back to that, I probably will not grow in politics, let's be honest. (laughs) But I'm going to try. (laughs) Uh That's good. All right. And Dakota, you did already share about memorization, but anything else that comes to mind or is in tandem with that? Well, I'm going to go buy a dictionary and then surround myself <laughs> with some new people. Now he's already learning from other people. <laughs> so yeah. I'm learning and I want to implement both those. Those are great. Uh, another thing is meal prepping. So I love oh. going out with friends and eating and just being social with everyone. So just prepping. And so far, the first um, couple of weeks, I've been doing great and able to stick on prepping lunches and uh, just being wise in how I'm spending. Yep. Yep. So that's helpful. That's good. I thought of a a few things. One is more of a skill kind of thing. And that is around, and this is so counterintuitive because it's like completely leaning into the distraction and, and horrible, like digital, you know, addiction that we have. But I need to learn how to do Instagram, specifically Reels, better. Because when I do, and I know sometimes I have to do this for Boundless, though thank goodness for Brie, who's doing most of this for me, which is probably why I'm not good at it. <laughs> but even in my own stuff or when I feel like, oh, I should help this friend promote this or whatever, and I just want to be helpful, it is like entering into some kind of abyss of figuring out, okay, how do I tag the right people? What do I do? Where do I insert the link? Whatever. Just knowing how to do that. And I would say YouTube as well, being such a big platform, especially with different ways things are coming about, I would just love to figure out how to actually master those, like how to do that. Okay, that's more skill-based. I also, and this is so bad, this is learned from my... um Late neighbor, Beanie, who went to be with Jesus last year, who was 97 years old and was so knowledgeable about, like, history because she actually, like, learned it in school and read books and remembered it. So I was talking to her, and I had to admit that I didn't really know how most of our wars in our history had started. <laughs> how did we get into them? What was he, Who was even fighting? What was going on? So I would like to read one book about some point in history, whether that's a certain war or that's something or a president or something where I can actually say, I learned about this person or about this event or whatever. That's my other thing. And then this I just thought of as I was walking into the studio, and I feel very proud of myself because this is super random. I do love getting information like in a development kind of way. And I thought whether it's a TED talk or whether it's some kind of like webinar or something, I would love to just pick three random topics or find three videos on something that I know nothing about and watch them. So it could be like putting together a carburetor. It could be Iceland. It could be, (laughs) I'm just going to pick three things and just learn about them. Iceland's a great one. Do that one. Yeah. Isn't that fun? I mean, I just think like, Yeah, things that I wouldn't know about unless I specifically went after and tried to learn, you know, what in the world they're about. I I would say 
too, I have friends who do that where they know all sorts of knowledge about certain topics that are random to me. Mm-hmm. Like I have a friend who knows everything there is to know about the night sky. Mm. And I'm like, how do you, That's pretty cool. how do you know <laughs> that? And also I'm fascinated. Would I, maybe I should get into that too, but yeah. also it's intimidating because you already think I know nothing about it. How do I start? Yeah. So to me, it's getting over that boundary of, is it okay to just know a little bit at a time? Right. And get over that hump. <laughs> yeah. And that's, see, what I need to do is learn about things that are actually like, not not that that's super like useful to my everyday life, but it's certainly a lot better than me jumping on Wikipedia entries and learning about celebrities, which is what I currently do. Mm. So I mean, finding things that are <laughs> that's a little so more useful. <laughs> I know it is. I mean, because when I meet T Swift, I'm going to have to know some facts about her. So, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just like randomly, you know, perusing and scamming on people's lives and stuff is just bizarre. Like weird celebrities, which I still do. You know, like when I'm watching a show and I have to find out who that actor is and then I'm all deep into their business and it just happened. So, okay, so let's talk about a couple great ways that we're going to go about this because this is classic New Year stuff is we're all going to do this, but in six months, are we doing it? I don't know. How are you guys going to do this? What does this look like for you? So Dakota, you tell us because memorization is a big deal. You got to get after that. Yeah. Oh, man. And starting with Small bites at a time, right? Okay. So I'm going to start with one, uh, maybe the first two weeks focusing on one passage. And then after those two weeks, moving on to the next mm-hmm. and just really implementing that and practicing, but then keeping it uh, by having people holding me accountable. Mm-hmm. And so maybe asking me randomly throughout the day at work or mm-hmm. in my life, and then they can um, just so I can recall it and yeah. remember it. So, That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, and even applying verses to life situations Absolutely. then makes it more practical and is like, oh, yeah, this is why I memorized it because I can recall it. Um, I think that's super helpful. Can I roll out one? I forgot to mention that I am implementing and just completed Sunday, which is weekly this year. One of my goals is writing down what I'm grateful for throughout the week. So a gratitude jar, I'm going to call it. And so by the end of the year, I'm going to have all these notes from every week throughout the year put in there, fold it up. So then when the new year comes around, I'm going to empty out the jar Mm. and read through everything I just I'm grateful for uh, somebody this past New Year's asked a great question. They're like, what were you grateful for this past year? I have many things to be grateful mm-hmm. for, but I couldn't, I could recall a few of them and I wanted to go back further. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited. And I just did that Sunday and started the the jar. So. That's so great because it's like everyone that I've talked to in the last few weeks as we've entered this new year is like, Oh, I just need, you know, I was, I so needed 2023 to be over and to start. New, okay. I say that every year, like every year is just worse than the previous one, you know? So it's great to kind of turn that on its ear and be like, what was great about this year? Even for all the hard stuff, you know, we were just talking before we started taping about just feeling kind of meh and feeling like, you know, seasonal stuff has us down. The holidays are past. Now we're just in January and it's kind of bleak and stuff. And so it is great to hold on to something, whether it's weekly or monthly, and just say, this was a good month for this reason. So yeah, that's a great practice. Maybe I'll steal that one from you, Dakota, (laughs) because I was thinking through how I fixate on the bad things in life. And like Lisa was saying, that can get me down. And so what the Lord's doing in my heart this year is Um, Also having self-compassion on myself and being able to say, you made it, (laughs) even Mm -hmm. though some of it was really hard. But 
that the Lord is still on our side and that you can reference scripture for that. Like, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, that's good. But for me, uh, with the original question, uh, I think I'm starting different small groups so I can be more intentional with community. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one is through my church, like a women's group, where we're young professional women who can encourage each other in the same life stage. And I'm really looking forward to that because I don't know what to expect, and I'm just like trusting the Lord. But as I'm growing in this community aspect and I'm growing in knowledge and getting other people's opinions and um, perspectives on life, I think that will be really healthy, and mm-hmm. also to get out of my out of my head in that same way that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And one of your small groups will just talk about politics. <laughs> yeah, and then the other one. It's going to be really encouraging. It will be debate club. Uh-huh. <laughs> so back to my home school days. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Homeschool me. debate. <laughs> That's great. Actually, I want to start a book club where it's a book lovers club. So we don't actually have to read a book specifically, but whatever you're reading, you come and talk about it. Oh, yeah. That's something I want to do and just be like, let's just have cheese and crackers <laughs> and talk about books and what you're learning. So That's great because then you hit the community goal too. Yeah. So it's like killing two it's birds. It's a win-win. Yeah. All right, John, how are you going after your goal? Community is definitely huge. I'm spending more time on Goodreads right now (laughs) to Mm -hmm. make sure that I'm updating my progress on reading and stuff like that. But going back to my vocabulary goal, thankfully, I do a lot of writing for my work. And Mm so I think if, if I get called out by friends about using a word a lot, then try to start using some other words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this actually happened the other day where um, our editor, Alex, shout out, Alex, you're in the booth right now. Um, <laughs> he kind of, he actually sent me a link to thesaurus.com <laughs> because I used the phrase, hey, I'm going to give you a heads up a <laughs> lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so nice. he actually sent me that link. And that was a good way to have accountability to say, all right, I need to work on my vocabulary here. But um, learning to write new words and then also talk, mm-hmm. um, speak them out, mm-hmm. say new words are, is a huge, huge way that I'm going to be able to not just learn a new word in the dictionary, but actually implement it in my vocabulary. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure to circle back to Alex and ask him how he's going to get smarter in the yeah. new year since <laughs> yes. he's so great with ideas yeah. for others. Just a heads up. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> just a heads, just up. A heads <laughs> up, Alex. Um, yes. We're going to circle back with you. Uh, that's so good. And that's it reminds me, John, there is hope for you because I grew up in California in the 80s and 90s. And basically, that was the era of not that this hasn't continued, but what they used to call the Valley Girl. And yes. just a general California dialect is and I went into college as a communications major, saying stuff like, Oh, my gosh, I was like, totally all no way. And I, I talk like that every day. <laughs> totally. I, would, I could easily say like about four times in a sentence or say to my dad, dad, can you like turn the lights off? And he's like, do you want me to like turn the lights off or do you want me to turn the <laughs> lights off? That was so common. My, that was always the way my dad responded. And I had to train myself to not talk like that so that I could actually graduate and get a job and have people take me seriously instead of just being like some Barbie, you know, whatever. So not that I still don't say like, and there's a special place for it in my heart. You're going to hear me say it. Yeah. But I'm just saying sometimes you have to train yourself out of... And uh, it can be very subconscious, too. Yeah. A lot of times if we're using filler words, we don't even realize that we're saying it. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. that's why we need friends to call us out and say, do you realize that you're using this Perfect. word so much? You know is another one. 
in, in like you know. I do say like, that. You know? Yeah, I know. That's why, because you're telling me. I always want to respond. <laughs> I do that with, all the no, time. I, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I say, does you. that make sense a lot? <laughs> it's like I'm questioning myself. Yeah. <laughs> that no, that sense? that totally is is great. Okay, just final thought here. I would love everyone to weigh in on how. I mean, we know that Scripture talks about like knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. How do we actually? Now, Casey is leading the way on this because she actually is prioritizing community and inviting others into her lives. But how do we not just become that guy or that girl who's just like super arrogant and just concerned about becoming smarter without caring about people in the process? Uh, That is such an awesome question. I had to really chew on it um, before we did this taping because I, I, I went back to community and just how many times when we're consuming knowledge, it's easy to think, oh, I'm getting smarter, I'm getting smarter as I'm learning something. But when we bring it into the light of community and start talking about it with other friends, whatever it is we're learning, that is actually a great way to have our ideas challenged. Mm -hmm. Because let's say me and a friend of mine, we read the same book, we're probably going to see different things in it. We're probably going to pick up on different... um, points of reference. We're probably going to have completely different perspective on certain sections, and that's good because we need to have our ideas challenged. So I would encourage the listeners, if you're learning something new, don't just keep it to yourself. Be willing to talk about it. Be willing to involve other people. Maybe join Casey's book club, and <laughs> that way you can... <laughs> I'm going to just for the yes. cheese. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. But get in community and um, be willing to have your ideas challenged because there have been lots of times where I thought that my myopic perspective was was correct, but truth be told, I just had my frame of reference and I didn't have the other points of reference that other people had. Yeah, I'm going to really focus on community this year as my primary goal. And I think learning together, that is a function of my community <laughs> because I'm always reading books anyway. So that was a big goal was getting out of my comfort zone and and not just learning for the sake of learning, but invol- inviting people into it. And it's one thing to learn something, but I think if you can apply it, like John was saying, if you can if you can actually have conflict instead of learning about conflict, then you're more likely to understand it. <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> um I think that's that practical application is a big reason for having other people speak into your life and point out your blind spots, um, as well as practicing the actual thing that you've learned. So, yeah, I'm trying to be really intentional about inviting people so that they feel like they're comfortable in sharing things like that and pointing out my blind spots. That's great. A great example for me is Job and how his friends came to comfort him, but then misapplied the word of truth. And Job was just rightly upset at the end of them sitting there. They spoke up when they shouldn't have. And um, it's totally understandable why he was uh, frustrated with them, um, just not listening and sitting with them. So a verse I recall is Romans twelve fifteen: rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So wisdom can be just listening sometimes and sitting with those in silence and not having the answer for mm-hmm. everything. And so uh, a goal of mine as well this year is to practice just listening well. Mm-hmm. That's good. And even saying what you're saying, Dakota, makes me think of being willing to and able to say, I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. a lot of times it's very looked down upon for us just to admit that we do not know mm-hmm. or to say, like, I would love to find that out or I would love to learn about that with you or whatever. I I think, too, there's a dual track of knowledge and wisdom and you need to be on both tracks because mm-hmm. if you're just learning stuff and accumulating knowledge, you can still be a colossal jerk. <laughs> and so yes. <laughs> knowing how Even to rightly so. apply mm-hmm. yeah. knowing how to <laughs> rightly apply knowledge is so helpful. And so my recommendation would be those who haven't done it or even if you have Go through Proverbs. You can do a proverb mm, a day, 31 of book. them, y'all. You can just kind of repeat them uh, throughout the year, uh, one a day, and uh, make that happen. It's so chock full of stuff. Proverbs 3, in particular, is just like a treasure trove of like, uh, here's what you need to do, y'all, to just lead a wise life. So, And I excellent. would echo that with uh, just asking the things that sound stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being able to say, I don't know what Eminem's real name is. <laughs> like, that's okay. <laughs> this actually came up the other day. Someone was like, yeah, you know, so-and-so. I'm like, who? <laughs> Eminem. Oh, <laughs> I should have known that. But just being able to be humble and uh, ask the things that to you, you feel like you should know. And instead of playing it off as, oh, yeah, of course I know that. Oh. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that. Instead of saying, yeah, actually, could you tell me more? And mm-hmm. people are really willing and receptive to that. Mm-hmm. Did you say, do you mean plain or peanut? (laughs) Okay, that was awkward. (laughs) Awkward. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for weighing in on this. This was a fun conversation. I love it. Thanks, Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. That sweet aroma I'm bold and beautiful I can hardly wait to taste Early morning Something wonderful is about to make my day. Folks, we are here for this week's culture segment. If you were here with us last week, you know that this is a continuation of our conversation from last week with our friend Elisa Childers. Uh, She is an author. She's a speaker. She's a podcast host of the Elisa Childers podcast. She's an apologist and a CCM singer from the girl group Zoe Girl back in the day. And so she is here. We're talking about her, her book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make us anxious, exhausted, and self-obsessed. So, Lisa, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me back. Well, for sure. And uh, we talked about this last week, about how this book really is going head-on at a number of the lies that have infiltrated our culture, and even the church to a certain extent. And you and I have talked in the past here on The Boundless Show about deconstruction, about your own story of really questioning certain aspects of Scripture that happened for you within the church, um, even from Christian authorities and people you trusted. And so it's such a timely topic to talk about how 
how do we get ourselves recentered on truth, on what God Himself has said, and cutting out the clutter of believing other voices and people who are threatening to kind of whittle away at uh, what has been given to us uh, from uh, the foundation of God's Word itself. And so, you in the book really talk through a number of different lies. And we talked about a few of them last week. And so those of you who didn't catch last week, you got to jump back and listen to that. Um, But we're going to jump into a couple others this week that we will talk through. And then we're going to show you how to get the book so that you can actually learn about the others as well. We're not going to give all of them to you. So Elisa, are you ready for that? I have several ones I want to bring up here for you. Okay. All right. Okay. We're going to first talk this week about this idea of God wants me to be happy. Okay, Mm. that sounds so cheesy for me to even say, because no, there are very few Christians that will just say that out loud of like, that sounds okay. But yet so many of us (laughs) make decisions with exactly that thought in mind. Um, And Mm -hmm. I I think of this in terms of kind of this idea of like, we're always kind of training ourselves towards you know, what What do we want to be doing? What do we like? How are we going to self-actualize? You know, what, it, it really is kind of a, a sneaky, a sneaky lie that kind of gets into, you know, a number of aspects of our own lives. And so um, I know that you talk about, and I want you to kind of explain what you mean by this in the book, you, you talk about a deep poverty in our souls around mm-hmm. that idea. And so can you kind of explain, even if we have material prosperity, what about this poverty in our souls? Explain that paradox. Mm. Yeah, in fact, I think it's the material pro- uh, prosperity that leads to uh, a poverty in our soul. Not certainly in every case, but I think as as we become more affluent and self-reliant, and, you know, I, I talk in the book about how, you know, we, I mean, we think about the pandemic. I mean, we can order our groceries through our computers. You know, it's like we have so many conveniences, and that leads us, I think to have to fight this idea of leaning into ourselves and trusting in ourselves, and it, and we're not really all that forced to lean on Christ when hard times come. And so when we're talking about the idea, God just wants me to be happy, there was some sociological research done on the average American teenager in 2005. So, you know, it's a long time ago. And in 2005, what they discovered was that the average American teenager basically believed that God just wanted them to be happy. Um, you know, wasn't really going to be all that involved in their life. He's not going to tell you who you can or can't sleep with, but he wants you to be happy. He he wants you to be nice to each other. And otherwise he's just going to kind of, you know, get out of your hair and leave you alone. And so the, the term therapeutic moralistic deism was coined. Now, fast forward to now, and all those teens are adults and they're parents and they're, they're the ones that are in the workforce now. And I really think that that has bled into the church in a really big way, where we sort of have this idea that, you know, whatever happens in my life, it, you know, as long as I'm happy, and, and I even think about this as a parent, this is something I even fight as a parent of a couple of um, one teen and one almost teen, I have to fight that because I want my kids to be happy. You know, I want them to pursue things that are going to bring them joy in their lives. But then I have to sort of refocus myself and think, okay, yeah, of course I want my kids to have happiness in their life, but more than being happy, I want my kids to know the Lord. I want them to have a life that reflects the beauty of the gospel. And sadly, well, I shouldn't say sadly because it's really for our benefit, a lot of times God chooses to glorify Himself and to bring us closer to Him through suffering. And so I think that suffering is something we need to talk more about Christians. We need to have a good theology of suffering. 
because we know biblically that God turns all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So that, you know, unexpected death of a loved one, that cancer diagnosis, um, that financial hardship, that relational hardship that you might be going through, we go through these things and it causes us to lean into Christ and to depend on him rather than depending on ourselves. And so that's why in James, it talks about considering trials as pure joy. That is so paradoxical. That is so antithetical to what we are being told in culture, which is to pursue whatever makes you happy. Pursue that career dream. Pursue that relationship goal. Pursue all these things. If you're not happy in your marriage, you know, dump the guy. And that's the message of culture, but that stuff leads to further um, lack of joy. And so I like to talk about the difference between happiness and joy. Because I might feel happy from a nice, you know, cup of coffee or something like that. That's not going to give me deep abiding joy. And this is why we've seen over millennia Christians who have suffered deeply, yet they have a deep abiding joy that most people don't even understand. And so I think embracing a good theology of suffering, realizing that sometimes God calls us into trials for us to walk through them and to learn a lot of lessons and to learn how to lean into Him. Because I think about the people in my life who have suffered a lot and who have remained faithful to Christ, and they have something I don't have. They have a deep joy, a deep something that I want more of, but sometimes that's only accomplished by walking through great suffering. So if we have this mindset that God just wants us to be happy, we're going to miss out on the deep joys, the deep gems that God has to offer us, I think. Yeah. Well, and it's something that those of us in Western cultures and especially first world ones are almost at a deficit for, um, because I know you outlined the story of a friend of yours, a refugee in the book, who obviously mm-hmm. was given a unique perspective on this, because those of us who have been trained up to believe that Christianity is equal to the American dream, we are finding mm. that that is not so, and we're left holding the bag. And so, I mean, I, I remember thinking, like, the concept of doing well meant that you were comfortable or meant that yeah. you were—it's our job to eliminate suffering. You know, why, why would we want anyone to suffer? And we're not seeing the benefits of walking with God through suffering. And so I think that that, like you said, that paradox, pulling the two parallels of that is so important for us to think through. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead. I want to I want to talk about one that um, is going to be a little bit of a lightning rod for folks because they probably have have said this or have repeated it or have had it said to them, and that is this idea um, that you're calling a lie. That is, we we shouldn't say you shouldn't judge or are you the mm-hmm. judge of me or why are you judging me or don't judge me. Right. <laughs> the, anything <laughs> insert the word judge in with any kind of phrase that you want to you want to use it for and and of course someone's going to come back at you and say but Elisa didn't Jesus say that we shouldn't judge. So what's your response to yes. that? Well, Jesus said don't judge, but he also said judge rightly. So how do we make sense of that? Well, what I talk about in the book is that there's there's really kind of two kinds of judging. First of all, I just want to say from the outset, we are not called to judge like make final judgment on the state of someone's eternal soul, right? I am not anyone's final judge as far as their standing with God or their salvation. So we can just take that one completely off the table. But what most people mean when they say, oh, you shouldn't judge me or don't judge, Jesus said don't judge, what they typically mean is that they don't think we should make moral judgments about other people's behavior or other people's ideas. And I actually don't think that's what Scripture is saying. 
So if we look at that passage of scripture where Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, you have to look at the greater context of what he was saying in the context of that passage. So later on down the passage, he says, um, tell it, the whole point of that passage is to help your brother take the speck out of his eye. Of course, famously, Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye so that you will be able to see clearly to t- help take the speck out of your brother's eye. And of course, that's in reference to sin. And so Jesus doesn't say, leave the speck in your brother's eye, worry about your own speck, worry about your own log. No, he says, first, take the log out of your own eye. Make sure you're not guilty of the same sin you're going to confront your brother about. Make sure that you're not being a hypocrite. So what Jesus is talking about there is not that we should never make moral judgments about other people, but what he's saying is we shouldn't make those judgments hypocritically. We should do it in the right spirit. And of course, we know that's true because uh, in another section of scripture, Jesus says, uh, judge with right judgment. In some translations, it says you should judge rightly. And so we want to make sure that we're judging justly and rightly and without hypocrisy. But it couldn't mean that we're never supposed to make moral judgments, because even later in that same passage, Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't throw what is holy to the dogs. Well, you have to make moral judgments to know who the swine is, who the dogs are. So if we look at that in its greater context, really what Jesus is saying is that we actually are to judge. In fact, the Apostle Paul has said something very fascinating when he said, it's not those outside the church whom we are to judge. We're actually not called to judge the lifestyles of non-Christians. We should expect non-Christians to behave like non-Christians, right? That's when we share the gospel with them. But it's, Paul said, it's those within the church whom we are to judge. And of course, Paul demonstrated this in other passages of Scripture when he talks about the man that was sleeping with his stepmom. And, and Paul basically said, cast him out, deliver his soul to Satan. So that, But the motive of that was so that he could be brought back into the fold in repentance. And it also protects the flock, because as we know, sin is contagious like that, especially when it's allowed to foster and fester. So there are specific ways the church is supposed to go about confronting one another in our sin, but we're certainly supposed to do it non-hypocritically. We're supposed to do it in the right spirit, and we're supposed to do it rightly. And so I think we just need to understand that when we're talking about judging, we're not talking about judging people's souls, but we do, especially as Christians within the church, need to make moral judgments and so that we can confront one another and restore one another to repentance um, and restore one another to the church. Yeah. I'm so glad you made that distinction uh, uh, between those outside the church and inside, because I was going to ask that very question, like, hey, we'll talk to us a little bit about this, because I don't think we mention that enough in this idea of like, yeah, we're wringing our hands and fretting over people who don't claim Christ, who have not been given a new heart, literally, <laughs> um, that yeah. can, you know, recognize and be convicted over its own sin and stuff, when there's plenty within the church and within our own hearts that we could be looking towards. Um, and and again, to even ask the question, for those in the church who, who claim Christ, you know, and again, now we're talking about the distinctive between the, the visible and the invisible church, those who are sitting in church pews versus those who truly are are saved, you know, the, some, some may be, some may be not. Mm-hmm. But this idea of you can't continue in persistent sin— and still say you are saved. I mean, you have got to be convicted right. of your sin, and sometimes you have to have other people help you point that out 
we need one another for that purpose. In fact, I would love for you to just tell the story. I mean, not that this is some, you know, it was just a, a great little a point for you, a learning point for you about when mm-hmm. one of your fellow bandmates had some words for you, um, you know, yeah. that you felt you needed to take to heart. Yeah, I shared the story in the book because it was such a beautiful example of judgment done right. Ex- it, judgment done the way Jesus told us to do it and, and done the way that Paul tells us to do it. And that's when I was in Zoe Girl. I was really struggling with an eating disorder that I had really been keeping secret. I mean, I wasn't proud of it, but I was very defensive about it. And so one of my bandmates kind of figured out what was going on with me, and she confronted me, which is very difficult for her because she's kind of more of a people pleaser, a peacemaker. She didn't really love confrontation, but she loved me enough to confront me about what was going on in my life. And and I even share in the book, it did not go well. I did not react well. I didn't respond well to her. In fact, I, I got very defensive and tried to point out everything I thought was wrong in her life. And thank God she loved me enough to judge me because she persisted. She confronted multiple times and even brought my other bandmate in. Um, and, and ultimately, I believe that her judgment and her confrontation of me ultimately saved my life because that's what led me to confess to my husband what was going on, which led to some counseling, which led to me figuring out, you know, some things I needed to repent for and turn from and and even heal from. Lots of stuff was all mixed up in there. But uh, because she loved me enough to judge me and persisted in that, and see, that's the thing. I knew that she loved me. I knew she wasn't doing this out of selfish motivation. I knew she wasn't doing it hypocritically, even though I got defensive. And I knew, and and given a little bit of time, I was able to see that. And that's what really led to my healing. And so I'm very thankful that she put those scriptures into action in a way that was exactly, I think, what Jesus was talking about there. Yeah. Well, and that goes so much in tandem with the other one I want to have you kind of break down for us before we finish today. And that is um, the lie that it's just all about love. And I I thought immediately of that, the story that's been told many times of the illusionists, Penn and Teller, who were talking about after one of their shows in Vegas, a guy came up to him and said he wanted to give him a Bible. And in it, I think he'd written his name and he'd written some verses and maybe the plan of salvation or whatever. And I remember it was Penn talking about this and him saying how, like, he was so glad that this guy gave him a Bible because people, I think, were like, oh, were you offended? Like, how ridiculous is that? Why is he trying to proselytize you? And I remember Penn saying something to the effect, I'll just paraphrase, of like, well, my goodness, I mean, how much would you have to hate me to think that you literally have the answers to the universe and a way to stay out of hell that you believe is very real and very bad, and you're not going to tell me about it? And mm-hmm. <laughs> I just thought that was so powerful. And he, here he is, yeah, an avowed atheist, um, you know, who basically is like, you know, I'm, I'm going to just say, you know, I believe it's all ridiculous or whatever. But if you believe this, you better be telling me about this. And I mean, what better example, and this is where you talk through in the book, the example of Jesus himself and the rich young ruler of really mm-hmm. calling out a love for him in the midst of this guy's own decision and his own doubt. So what's the parallel that you want to share there? Yeah, well, I think it all comes down to how somebody defines what love is. And that's ultimately our culture who defines love basically as celebrating and affirming everything somebody wants to do or think or believe or behave like. And that's not love. We know biblically that that's not love. In fact, love is one of God's attributes. It's who He is. We have a word called love to describe who God is. 
And as we know, love doesn't always affirm or celebrate. In fact, every parent knows this. We stand in between our children and evil all the time. We tell them, no, you can't do that because that's not good for you. I love you enough to tell you. And so love, like, like um, I loved that, that video when that came out. That kind of made the rounds a while back. I remember when I watched that, when, and I thought, wow, that's really cool that an atheist gets that. You know, he gets <laughs> that really that guy was loving him by giving him the Bible. And so in the book, I talk about how culture defines love that way. But in the Bible, love is, Paul, you know, fleshes this out for us in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. We all love that part. We, I think we kind of memorize that. But if you keep reading, Paul says, love cannot rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in the truth. So love and truth are inseparable. They're not opposites. So according to the Bible, I am not loving someone if I celebrate or affirm something about them that is sinful or harmful to them. And in fact, there was a progressive Christian book that came out that was very popular a few years ago and actually quoted in the book where the author had um, left her traditional marriage for a lesbian relationship. And one of her church friends basically said, you know, I don't know how to reconcile my religious beliefs with, you know, loving you. I want to love you unconditionally, but I don't know what to, how to reconcile. And the author of the book actually wrote her back and said, yes, you do have a choice to make. There is no such thing as I love you, but. She said, love has no buts. If you, if you want to change me, you don't love me. If you think I'm going to burn in hell, you don't love me. If you wish me well, but vote against my family being protected by the law, you do not love me. And what was so ironic about this statement is that she was basically saying to her friend, you have to change all of your beliefs to love me, but she wasn't willing to do that for her friend. And, and also, according to this definition, if you believe that someone might be going to hell, according to this author, you're not loving them. Well, then that means Jesus didn't love people because Jesus talked about hell more than anybody. And so I think that we have bought into perhaps a secular uh, definition of love, and we need to get back to a biblical one, which is that love does what my friend did. She confronted me, pushed through her discomfort, pushed through that, and loved me enough to judge me and to confront me. So we have to define love biblically as Christians, which means that sometimes we're going to have to stand in between people we love and evil and say, no, this is hurting you. Don't do this. I love you too much to let you walk you know, across the street and get hit by a bus without me warning you. Just like Penn pointed out in that video. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so there are probably a lot of us sitting here, Elisa, who are nodding our heads and saying, that is so true, that's so true, that's so messed up that we believe this. And I have a friend who believes one or 10 of these lies <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so what's our next step? Because I can hardly imagine myself sitting down with a friend, inviting her to coffee and saying, let me outline the at least seven lies that I think you're believing and what you need <laughs> to do differently. <laughs> so how do we yeah. lovingly, speaking of love, how do we actually broach this topic with those that we love, our friends, our family, uh, those that we really care for ultimately the condition of their souls? Yeah. Well, I have, I have found as I travel and speak that a lot of people will come up to me after uh, I give a talk and they'll say, you know, I didn't even realize that I was buying into a lot of these lies. I've even had people tell me that on their way to the event, they were listening to some of the quote unquote self-help gurus that I sort of call out in the book. And they were so grateful to have this exposed. And I think the, the best way to do it is in a way that's maybe not directly confrontational, but there are ways that we can 
ask really good questions that get people to kind of second guess their presuppositions. So I think one thing that somebody could do, I mean, this sounds very self-promoting of me, but you could give them a copy of my book. I wrote it in a way that hopefully has a lot of humor. It's disarming. It's not, you know, confronting them directly or, or, you know, condemning them to hell for believing these lies. In fact, I put myself in that category in a lot of times, like, you know, I was about ready to hit like and share on this meme because it sounded so good. I get it. So that would be one way that's not a direct confrontation, but also just learning to ask really good questions. Like, for example, if you're out for coffee with a friend and they say, well, I just, you know, I just want to love people. It's all about love. It's not about, you know, correcting people's beliefs. What a great opportunity to ask a couple of clarifying questions. You could ask them, now that's, I'm, I'm interested in what you've just said. What, how do you define love? What does love mean? Does love never confront? And then, and then start a conversation about the definition of love. And even if they don't agree with you at coffee, a lot of times it'll hit them a couple weeks later. They'll be thinking when they're alone, maybe driving in their car, and it's going to bug them that they couldn't resolve that in their mind. Or take the, the statement, you know, I am enough. If you have a friend who, who maybe says that, I am enough, you could ask a question that might sort of undermine that presupposition, like bringing up a, a scenario in which they so clearly would not be enough. Like, for example, what if you're unconscious and somebody has to come help you? Would you be enough in, in that scenario? And you can even make it humorous, you know. And so I think learning to ask some really good clarifying questions, largely having to do with definitions of words. Like, what do you mean by enough? What does that mean to you? Like, you can just do everything on your own. You never need anybody else. And you can have these kinds of conversations that can flow and continue over the course of weeks, over coffee. And um, it's, it, I think it's really possible to do it in a way that's non-confrontative, but yet asking really good questions that sort of, as my friend Greg Coco puts it, just puts a little pebble in their shoe that, that it's a little irritating, but, but they'll think about it later. For sure. Well, there is so much here. There's even more in the book. And we want to make those of you who are listening aware of the fact that we're making Elisa's book available to you this week um, for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So you go to boundless.org. You can search for 834 this week's episode. Um, The book is Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. And you can just click on the book cover. You give a gift to Boundless. We will send a a copy of Elisa's book to you as our thank you to you. And it might be something that, you know, maybe you want a copy for a friend. Maybe you can do it as a book study with a friend or a couple friends and, and talk through some of this stuff. Maybe do some of these scenarios together of like, yeah, what are these things that I'm tempted to believe? What are the memes that I would click on uh, personally? And you can have that conversation. So uh, you go ahead and make it happen. Again, we would love to send this book to you. So Elisa, thank you again for being part of this conversation, for penning the book and for walking it out. Thanks, Lisa. I loved it. Oh, God, did I hear you? You really want me to walk up to that mountain and tell it just to move. This is crazy. Yeah. I am trusting because with you I know that all things are possible and I can walk on water if you're calling me to you and it's crazy yeah Lord this scares me yeah but it's gonna take crazy faith 
everything I'm stepping out I'm taking the leap of crazy faith All right, folks. Well, we are finishing out the show with our inbox. And this week's question, I'm going to take a stab at. It's a dating question and one that is really great and could be multifaceted. So here we go. Our listener is wondering, what are your views on dating multiple people at once before choosing one person to date full time? If you go on a date with someone, should you tell them up front that you're going out with others? On the flip side, what if the person you go out with tells you they're dating others? How do you handle that without taking it personally? Okay, well, great question. And of course, this is a very practical one because the chances of someone having dated or currently dating someone uh, are pretty high. (laughs) So it's kind of like, what do you need to know and how do you find it out? Uh, So I'm going to say, first of all, that Actually, if we look historically, immediate exclusivity in relationships is a pretty recent phenomenon. In fact, you think, you know, as recently as back to the 50s and 60s or whatever, I remember speaking one time in this older dude who was in the audience during the Q&A, we were kind of talking about this in the sense of like the awkwardness of trying to ask a bunch of people out. And he was talking about when he was in high school, which I'm guessing I think he said was in like the 50s or 60s. He said, oh, you know, I would go out with three ladies on a weekend sometime. And all of us were like, what in the world? How do you even make that happen? And he was just like, yeah, well, when you're just going down, walking to the corner store and getting a soda or you're going to a movie, he said, you know, I could take one girl out Saturday during the day, one Saturday night, and maybe do something after church (laughs) with another one. So he was really working the law of averages there and kind of getting his, uh, yeah, getting his quota in, in a sense. So if you think about that, I think the reason we've gotten so weird with this is that dating has become so unattainable and almost like, you know, the, the bar is so high that it makes it very difficult to date a bunch of people at once. And so you know, think about that in the sense of like, okay, how do we make dating kind of accessible so that this isn't uh, isn't such a, a problem, I guess. So anyway, um, you know, you you say, for example, let's let's pull a couple other things um, out here. There, when you're dating, another reminder, and I say this often, but I'm going to reiterate it here, there is no commitment in this relationship until you establish that there is. So you are only dating to see if this is someone that you want to know better, which is kind of like you're getting to know them better to see if you want to get to know them better. So that sounds a little self-defeating maybe, but it is true. It is a very low barrier kind of just, you know, friendship level kind of thing at first. Um, You know, and this is where I would say evaluate how you are approaching dates, because if you're already going into a first or second date and you're assuming that you're going to be making out with this person or you're going to be making decisions about where this is going, you maybe need to pull back a little bit and figure out, Okay, what does this mean? What's going on here? So, um, you know, in light of that, I want to talk about a couple of things that you bring up specifically in your question. And the first is you say, if you go on a date with someone, should you tell them up front that you're going out with others? Well, I would say generally, no, you don't need to. I mean, that should actually be assumed because, again, there's no level of commitment in this relationship. And quite frankly, it's not even their business if you're going out with other people because you're just getting to know them as well. So then you say on the flip side, you know, if the person that you go out with tells you that they're dating others, you know, how do you not be offended by that? I would say, conversely, be grateful for that, because that's kind of showing that they're not clingy 
or codependent. They're just willing to kind of, <laughs> you know, treat other people, the person that they're dating as a, a brother or sister in Christ. And so, you know, now it's one thing if you're four months into this relationship and they're still saying, yeah, I still need to date a bunch of people because I'm not sure about you. Well, now you're on a timing and maybe a foot dragging issue that you might need to say, okay, we need some clarity here as to what we are or aren't. And so that totally makes sense. But again, don't make the assumption that they owe you something or vice versa, because that's just not the case. And so um, you can treat it. Again, I I know sometimes you have to be intentional about adding the chill uh, to this, but you've got to make sure that that happens because as you get to know one another and you want it to be something more, that is a separate conversation. And so it's totally fine to date several people. Now what, date 20 people? Maybe not. Now we have a different issue. But um, at the same time, uh, be that person who makes a good, solid, rational decision based on having really had the opportunity to get to know people in different walks of life and at different opportunities. So hopefully that'll give you a little bit of guidance on the front end for thinking of this and maybe kind of getting your head on straight and feeling a little bit of calmness around the situation. Thanks again for that question. All right, folks, uh, do remember that on Apple Podcasts and now Spotify, you can leave a review for us. We love it when you do. So please make that happen because that is a great way for us to grow our audience and even get some great testimonials out of it. So if you'd hop on Apple or on Spotify, we would love it. Go ahead and leave your review or your rating. And I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. Hey, everyone. On Monday, listen to the latest release of my podcast, Refocus with Jim Daly. Dr. John Lennox talks about how we need to show both love and truth to others. Love and truth, they find difficult to put together because love without truth becomes sloppy sentiment and truth without love becomes hard and can be vicious. Dr. Lennox will help you overcome barriers when sharing your faith on the next Refocus with Jim Daly.